It's Monday the 25th of May 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. Now, we return to the studio today for the first time since the 9th of March. Imagine that. And to celebrate, I've decided to avail myself of some of the significant knowledge and talent to be found here within the walls of Broadcasting House. Welcome to Roof Broadcast Journalist and Week in Iceland veterans Anna Masibir Clausen and Ingolfur Bjartni Sifusson. No pressure. Oh, Thank right. you. <laughs> Veterans and talented and all that sort of stuff. Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. um, unsurprisingly, we've been talking about nothing other than COVID-19 on this programme in recent weeks. So it is nice to be able to cast a wider net this week and uh, open up the chat a little bit. And it does seem like an appropriate moment to be doing that. Uh, because today is the day Iceland officially cancels its state of emergency. Gyms, bars, clubs and other locations are opening again with some restrictions and the assembly limit is rising from 50 to 200 people. A dispute has erupted around the tender process for Promote Iceland's international tourism advertising campaign. Interest rates are now at their lowest ever level as the economic recession and unemployment crisis start to bite. Iceland Air held an investors meeting on Friday to try and secure capital to secure its long-term future. Althingi has been shaken by the results of a survey showing more widespread bullying and harassment within its walls than everyone would have liked to have seen. And advanced voting for 27th of June's presidential election starts today at Smaurland, district commissioners' offices around the country and embassies and consulates around the world. So where should we begin? Hmm. Where should we begin? Well, now we can start behaving like nothing's ever happened, can't we? Mm, Isn't that some... the way it's supposed to work? Yeah. Until something oh, happens again. I already again. have. Oh, you I already went, have? I You're not social distancing? Definitely not. I mean, I mean, of course, to some extent, right? You know, there is what is, you know, almost two meters between us. Yeah. yeah. We, we have the German one and a half meter, I think. Yeah. That, that'll do. We'll have the German <laughs> distance here. But the, the two meters are only recommendation from today. So I, that's, exactly. Uh, you know, mm. we're not breaking any law. But I went swimming this weekend. I'm going to the gym later today. You know, I assume that I will be back in quarantine within the week. But <laughs> <laughs> That's no. the trouble, isn't it? I mean, we're everyone's so happy and understandably excited that these changes are happening that we can actually do things and live again right. but it would be horrible if it came back right and um, and it feels like that to some extent that's inevitable right you know there's you know some version of this previous situation will probably come back but at that point i feel like you know we know what it is if we have to if we have to go back into quarantine it's not something that's so as scary as it was before. Of course, it's scary if our um, if if people start getting really sick again, you know. And I I feel like sometimes we talk about COVID like, oh, you know, it wasn't that big a deal after all. You know, mm. we you know we weren't hit that hard, and it's true we weren't hit that hard. But for those families of those ten people who died, you know, I I can't even imagine. And for families of those who've been really sick, I've been fortunate enough not to have anyone around me get really sick. And I feel like, you know, I, I catch myself being very cavalier about the whole thing, being just like, oh, you know, now I can go swimming and I mm-hmm. can go lift some weights and it'll all be fine. But, you know, but but then again, of course, it might get scary again. I don't know. I mean, it's also important to, to remember that a lot of people who who 
quote unquote, just got sick, you know, uh, there were people on respirators who are you know, have a long process ahead of them. But I've also talked to a number of people uh, who only got a little bit sick, you know, had sort of flu-like symptoms mm-hmm. for a couple of days. And eight weeks later, they're sort of out of breath still. Right. So the impact... And we're always learning more. I mean, these blood clot things seem to be quite scary. The Kawasaki syndrome that happens occasionally in kids seems to be quite uh, unpleasant, at least. And there are a number of things that we don't know. So I think there's, I think it's reason to be vigilant. Mm-hmm. The question is, you know, what does vigilant mean and when do you become completely paranoid right. or or sloppy? You know, where, where's the new balance? Where's the new, new, new normal? Right, because we also kind of have to, we we have to try to find that happiness again. Absolutely. Right? You know, it's been really hard these past weeks. And I think it's really hard on people's psyche as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this balance to it where, yes, you want to, you know, you want to be careful. But, you know, since since they say that now it's okay that we go and, you know, behave a little bit more normal. Maybe it's Maybe it's better that we do that and not worry too much about... That second wave. Mm. You, you talk about people's psyche, people's mental well-being. I think the worst thing that could happen is a yo-yo back and in and out of quarantine because the the numbers are going up and down. Right. But that I mean, be... look at Germany, where they they uh, it never got really horribly bad. Although their uh, sort of stay in place with quarantine orders were a little bit more strict than ours. They've been loosening up a little bit for uh, a, a while. And they've got infections, you know, uh, at places of work, at places of worship. Worship. So you look at Germany, a different place than Iceland, but, you know, they already seem to be heading into, mm-hmm. you know, outbreaks that I don't know how the large they will become, but, you know, it's, it's certainly still out there. And it's interesting that, that we have the odd case pop up in Iceland mm-hmm. uh, in people who seemingly aren't symptomatic and... We at least don't get any explanation as to where they, where they, you know, where they got the bug. Right. So I mean, it's still going. It's still making the rounds. And the thing mm. is that before, when we were all, you know, kind of quarantined, people who would get diagnosed, you know, they'd only send maybe twenty people into quarantine because mm-hmm. people aren't socializing. Mm-hmm. Now. It's you're gonna back be at work, you're at shop, you're at the gym. It's gonna be two hundred people per f- person or more. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you, you said you were going to, going to go back to the gym. That's one of the places where I'm like, eh, right? Because I mean, the gym is kind of sticky and icky to begin with. Right. I I go it's... to a I go to a gym. Uh, it's like kind of a CrossFit gym. Okay. And so they have very rigorous cleaning procedures mm-hmm. and guide uh, guidance things happening <laughs> for all of us and and i i feel like at that point you know yeah i i think that if we clean things well enough if we stick to certain class sizes i feel more comfortable going to my crossfit gym where i know exactly how the, what the process is mm-hmm. rather than going to the open gyms where you know it's just up to did the last person actually clean this machine? Do I have to clean each and every machine it as like I go? like you have cloth or spray or anything to do it at the at the largest gyms in Reykjavik, right. at least. I mean, you know, you're basically 
you have no idea whose sweat and spit you're rolling in. For sure. And I'm bringing my own stuff too, <laughs> to my gym, <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah. But what's going to be interesting about this too is because I feel like I feel like a lot of us are really proud. A lot of us are like, oh yeah, we beat this. Iceland is amazing, you yeah. know. And and I think that's it's so interesting with this marketing campaign. I, I mean, that's what we're going to do, right? That's what we're going to use to try to lure sure. people back to Iceland. We're going to yeah. say, we beat this. You know, we're so clean. You can, you can come here and be safe. You can be safe. We have these wide open spaces. Uh, you know, we have great testing. Everything is clean, clean, clean. Mm-hmm. You're going to be fine here. And it's uh, it's such a... Um, it's there are a couple of caveats. You need to be able to pay the 190 euro right. that people will have to pay per person for tests. Right. Which probably will stop the easy easy jet travelers, and then you'll have to find the flight. As the last time I checked, there almost weren't any. So you know you can open the country in three weeks. Mm-hmm. I guess it's now. But will people come? Well, well, will they be able to? Because mm-hmm. I've seen no plans from any airline mm-hmm. as of yet for flights in and out of the country. We the only flights that we have coming and going are a couple of flights a week to Boston, Stockholm, and London subsidized by the government because I think they're more or less empty. Mm-hmm. So, great, let's open up uh, and test people and whatever and try to get the economy going. That doesn't sound too horrible an idea, but how are we? I mean, tourists uh, inevitably arrive by plane. Mm-hmm. And that's still... I mean, there are bigger issues when it comes to planes flying in and out of Iceland uh, and, and the airlines, but... I've seen no no airline say that mm-hmm. they're actually starting. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe that's what the authorities are hoping for, that they get the infrastructure in place before the demand is there. Well, that's probably a good idea too. But, um, right. but we're going to see a very economically different tourist than we've been seeing in the in the past years because with the low fare airlines like wow air mm-hmm. you know we've had people come here who have been spending very little money mm-hmm. and um, you know finding ways <laughs> even if it is always expensive to stay in Iceland people have been finding ways to do it mm-hmm. on the cheap and uh, and this is going to be so different because mm, yeah. nobody can afford, you know, just in general, I think this is not for just a few months. This is going to be what it is for maybe maybe the next few years that it's going to be very expensive to, tra- expensive to travel anywhere mm-hmm. uh, by plane. And it's not going to be quite as common as it used to be. And so, yeah, so we're looking at a different kind of tourists uh, that, you know, is going to be maybe doing different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think a lot of us are kind of happy that our nature gets to rest a little bit. And perhaps that we can use the opportunity to also sort of map out a more strategic vision of what we want to do. I mean, tourism yeah. here just sort of boomed following an economic collapse and a couple of volcanic eruptions. Right. And it just sort of happened. And it was great because it sort of got us uh, out of economic troubles, but... It also meant that we were overrun by people who were stretching the limits of infrastructure, you know, be it roads or whatever right. else, and we didn't really have a vision. And now we have a chance to 
fix that right. if we use the opportunity. Remember when they first came here, when the tourists came here for, you know, that first wave of tourism and we were just like, we don't have toilets for these people. Yes. And it was all about how tourists were... Pooping all over. Yeah. Mm. Which was, they were doing. I was going to mm. say doing their business, but yes, pooping yes. all over. <laughs> yep. And it was this crazy thing and that to some extent that's still a problem uh, well not right now but yeah that's you know those it those... was a problem you know six months ago right so there's all these things that we could be fixing and i wonder if we are actually fixing them are we we all talk about okay so now's a time where we can use you know we can build up our infrastructure we can do all these things to be better prepared and are we actually doing these things? We see private companies have been doing a lot of it. I'm not sure about the public sector so much, but every seems like every um, bar, for example, seems to have been refurbing in these last weeks. Right. Because there's nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's going to be interesting to see how, how town looks afterwards. Um, Definitely. When things open again. I'm very concerned for my uh, local cafes. And, uh, you know, and I, I've, been, I've been trying to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, kind of at the cafes or the restaurants and shopping with those small businesses downtown Mm -hmm. that I really want to keep there Mm -hmm. because I'm very concerned that, you know, they won't be able to stay afloat. I was impressed with the restaurateurs who were used to running quote-unquote high-end restaurants or, you know, the nicer restaurants who uh, were hit badly when the tourists all disappeared overnight and that in the middle of sort of slow season anyway. Mm Uh, when they just sort of changed their business concept overnight and started doing, you know, takeaway and deliveries and whatnot, I'm kind of hoping some of that will stay because yeah. I think apart from just, you know, adding to their, you know, the viability of their business, it's a service to the rest of us. It's great that you can, you know, you don't have to go downtown. Uh, you can, you know, drink your own bottle of red. Right. But it's also, and I use those services even if I'm a decent cook and I can certainly cook for myself, but I wanted to support these companies who were in dire straits and were trying to find novel ways of surviving. Oh, for sure. And, you know, even just in terms of accessibility, because we know that many of those restaurants are uh, located in facilities or in housing that is not accessible to wheelchair users. Yeah. Mm. But now, you know, you have when you have these deliveries, you have all these people mm-hmm. who... You know, for sure, the price has to be maybe a certain way for many of them and for many of us who can't afford to eat out that much. But still, somehow these places have become more accessible than before. And yeah. I think that's a great thing. Personally, I've been uh, I've also been using this to um, run and get myself some garlic naan from uh, <laughs> uh, from Östre India Village, the East India Trading Company. You know, because you don't have to buy the whole meal. You yeah, can you also can just, just buy the extra meal. You know. Yeah, mm. you know, and of course, their whole meal is better than what I make. But oh my God, just being able to supplement <laughs> my <laughs> yeah. cooking with a little bit from the outside—that's yeah. been wonderful. And there's other elements too, like um, uh, conference call meetings and working from home. I think there's going to be a lot more of that going forward. Even though we can come back to the office. Yeah. Like, for example. I've seen the positives and negatives of both sides. So I've decided this week at least I'm going to be here in the mornings and mm-hmm. at home in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be quite good. And I think we're going to see more flexibility like that going forward, mm-hmm. which and then like has that's... a knock-on effect for traffic. And 
And it also opens up that, I mean, there was a discussion ongoing during the last bout of, of uh, trade union talks about uh, curtailing the work week, you know, working for four days or having more flexible work hours and whatnot. And in some lines of business, that's possible if you work, say, at the Roo, where you actually have to be there to broadcast at a certain hour, you know. Yeah. Flexibility or, you know, doing that in the morning if your show's in the afternoon where the news is at night. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more difficult. But working at home, mm -hmm. uh, given the opportunity we have, I mean, Iceland has fantastic internet connections. So for most people in Iceland, that is certainly something that makes things easier. Uh, my show, which is a, a weekly show, we were basically asked to leave the building when uh, in early March. And we, most of us haven't been here since early March. We've been working right. for home and it was, for the most part, Fine, and it's been a really busy and important time for your oh, program yeah. as well. It was it was busy, busy. I mean, we would show up here to do certain tasks, but uh, by and large, we were at home, and it's fine. And it's certainly something that I think is is. I think you're right. I mean, it it you know it gives us an opportunity to be flexible about where we are when we work, and you you can work from home from a summer cottage also if you you know if you've got the connection, yeah. and you know curtailing the work weekend, doing these things that people have been talking about to in. To, change the life-work balance, mm -hmm. uh, this seems like a great opportunity to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Now we have unemployment, so maybe we can, to some extent, make that part of the discussion how we create more employment by reducing the workload on others. Right. Mm. It'll be a bit, little bit more expensive, or maybe we'll get a little bit less paid. But you know, it's at least an interesting discussion to have. Oh, for sure, and definitely because we have the discussion we were having before is th that we're working too much, right? Yeah. Every you know, so many people in Iceland, especially younger women, are experiencing burnout, and you know, and and I feel like if we could have these days where we get to stay at home and work in a different environment that's more relaxed, you know, maybe that's a way to combat that for sure I felt that for sure and uh, you know my morning meetings I really loved the team's meetings mm -hmm. but I also you know I used this opportunity to just wake up at 9.30 when the meeting was starting and I just put in my headphones, mm -hmm. definitely did not turn on the camera because I was still in my pajamas or <laughs> even topless, you know, and it's just so nice to be able to have that meeting, you know, drinking my coffee at home, fully relaxed, not running around, you know, driving here, getting a parking space. It, it makes such a difference mm -hmm. to start the morning off in this relaxed way. And you're in a different mental state then, but it doesn't mean that you're less productive. Oh, I found for that sure at all. Not. You've you know, you roll out of bed and straight to the desk, you commute for three meters. <laughs> right. And then you're at work and it's the same as it would be here. Right. I found there was also after a while there's also the other danger, which is you're at home working. So when do you period. start working? Yeah. You know, you're at home and you're at work and it's the same place and they sort of you know, there's not a beginning and an end to anything and you find yourself more than ever, you know, doing stuff at 10 at night or on a Saturday morning. I think that's also that you have to be conscious of, you know, because th uh, this isn't supposed to turn into a, you know, 24-7 mm -hmm. kind of employment because you've, you're connected all the time. I actually got better at not doing that okay. by being at home. And I feel like it's because I had to set those boundaries because mm. I was always at home. So I had to put in some boundaries for myself. Did you set up and a physical barrier, like an office space? No, I couldn't. Uh, so my uh, my partner, he's, you know, he's an audio engineer 
which is very helpful for me as a radio journalist. And so, you know, our dining room was just his, you know, his space. And, you know, all these computers and audio equipment set up. And then I had, you know, my little desk in our living room. But, you know, it just had to be after a certain point in the day. It just had to be, no, now we're done and there's nothing Mm. more. And, uh, And that helped me a lot because as a journalist... You're always working Mm. as, you know, and now that I work exclusively in in culture or, you know, exclusively to some extent, you know, you have to go to all these shows and you have to, you know, kind of keep abreast of everything that's going on. And so you're always working. There's it's very hard to kind of turn off your brain. And uh, and I felt like I had to do that with the current situation, with the situation that was going on. I really felt the need to do it. And. Because I was always at home, I was kind of reminded more that there had to be a balance. I, you know, I didn't have any clear methods to it. It's just some realization that, you know, I'd known this all along, that I was working too much at home. But when I started actually working at home, then I knew I I really had to set myself some boundaries. Yeah. I stopped myself when I realized I was Googling, you know, audio equipment and how to soundproof my little office better so I could do the voiceover. I already edit video at home. Yeah. I figured, okay, if I if I start doing the voiceover from home, I'm basically never going to not wear my, you know, pajamas or just underwear at work <laughs> and I'll become a very strange <laughs> hermit. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I don't need to leave my, you know, two by two little room uh, for anything except a coffee machine, mm-hmm. um, it's probably not a good idea. Either. No, right. that's the the work life balance thing is so important. Like, I I enjoyed having my own food. I enjoyed being able to work outside in the sunshine with my laptop. Mm-hmm. Which is um, find sunshine. Uh, Tell oh, me, it's always sunny where I live. <laughs> oh, okay. And same. Um, mm. Spending yeah. more time with my dog and that sort of thing. Oh, but at yeah. the same time, you miss the people here. You miss yeah. the oh, canteen definitely. food and this sort of thing. You um, you also realize after a while that. There is actually value in chit chat, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. bouncing ideas off of people or just turning around and say, hey, do you know that? Have you heard of? Do you got? Do you have the number for? Do you think this would make sense? And, you know, yes, we have all, you know, I don't know how many chat apps we have and video forum. But it's not the same. Ways, but it's not the same. We are running out of time. Um, and I know time's precious this morning. Um, so maybe we should just give a mention to something else, uh, since I promised it wouldn't all be COVID. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, for example, the presidential election or mm. the economy and the, 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 the interest rates, for example, or I stand there. Right. Pick one. We yeah. can do it. Let's not do interest rates. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Presidential elections. <laughs> presidential elections, yes. So yeah. um, no sitting president has ever lost an election, right. but it could happen. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen this time around, though. I have Let's say statistically it's probably unlikely. Right. Guinea mm. is extremely popular and, uh, and you know, well-liked. Um, meanwhile, Guinea um, Franklin is... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Is I, I, I don't know a lot about him. I, I feel like he definitely speaks to a certain group in the electorate, but I think that's a very small group. Um, 
men min royal goodness running his election campaign on being nice. <laughs> I think that's... Which Icelanders are probably particularly this time are just fine with. Yeah. Um, you know, without commenting on Guðmundur Franklin, the, the, the current uh, candidate, particularly just interesting throughout the years that that a lot of people who run for president seem to be running for an office uh, that I'm not familiar with, with right. powers that I had no idea the office was uh, had, you know, right. dictating laws and uh, and what not. Um, foreign yeah, president, policy. Yeah, foreign policy. Also, they have very strong views on stuff that, you know, would make sense that they were running for parliament, but I'm not aware of the president having any powers. Uh, the Icelandic president is similar to the German one, more of a figurehead that's supposed to have sort of a unifying role. Uh, you know, yes, he has certain sort of um, certain powers. I guess you could call them emergency powers to mm-hmm. an extent, mm. but they're not politicians in in that sense of the word, I think. Right. Olaf Ragnar, of course, he was the first to use the veto yeah. power, right? Mm-hmm. The power of the veto. And I mean, that is a significant power, yes. of course, and, you know, can't be applied. But, you know, it, it's it's not a the t- traditional role of the presidency. And, um, and definitely, you know, with some of the things that many candidates in the past have wanted to do, you know, is not enough for them to actually, you know, get the things done that they want to. And, uh, you know, the last election before this one, I was a journalist at MPH.S at the time, and I was actually charged with interviewing every presidential candidate on camera and uh, for a minute there, that was 14 people. <laughs> it was very strange. And then suddenly my own editor-in-chief got added to the mix, which was also very, That's very true, strange. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll tell the story of that at another time. Um, but, but, you know, at the same time, everybody gets it. Presidential elections in Iceland are kind of funny. Right. People get kind of confused. Like, why is this person even running? Why is this person even running? You know, you know, here's a YouTube star. Here's, you know, you know, this really Christian lady who wanted to ask God about ice save. And, you know, that doesn't really go well with the majority of Mm. Icelanders, to be honest. And now we have Gwim de Franklin, who, you know, a lot of people are asking, why is he even running? And, you know, these other men Mm -hmm. who also announced that they would be running, why are they even running against such a popular sitting president? And while I definitely can see that argument that, you know, it costs money to have these elections, it's not that much money uh, compared to you know not having an election at all, and I think it's mm-hmm. healthy for uh, I think it's health a healthy signal for a country that we do have elections that people mm-hmm. do feel like they can run against a sitting president, and um, and I think we sometimes forget that in our national discussion because we just think oh they're being silly because they're not going to win maybe winning is not the point and it also gives the sitting president the chance to renew his. Mandate. Oh, for and, sure. And that's mm-hmm. a healthy thing too. For sure. Well, I'm afraid we are out of time. Um, next Monday is a public holiday in Iceland and 
I am otherwise disposed the Monday after that, which means that The Week in Iceland will be back on Monday the 15th of June on roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app and your favourite podcast platform. Thanks to my guests today, Anna Marsibil-Klausen and Ingolver Bjartni Sigfusson, and also to Lydia Gretasdottir for running the studio. We finish today with MC Goethe and Crowley singing Malbik. Uh, Malbik means asphalt or tarmac and is uh, as the great Icelandic travel summer kicks off, tourism service providers are hoping against hope that we will all grab the opportunity to hit the tarmac and get out there and see more of this incredible country. Bye for now. Í þetta skiptu fórst og ég var eftir í þögnunni Þrá ekkert til dæreina, eiga smá orðviði Ég veit að ég var heimskur, svo ótrúlega heimskur Veit að ég var fíbla, veit að ég á allt skilið Ég grasi grætna hinum megin við mig Hvað veit ég um fokkum gróður, ég er alinn upp á malbyggi Sjálfum er reyður út í þið því ég er tíðan eins og farsímin